Once upon a time, there was a young boy. And the young boy came from a very uh, humble family, a very, very uh, poor family. And he didn't have many uh, toys to play with. And he, he desperately wanted a little toy sailing boat that he could, he could sail on the lake or in the stream or in the sea. And so he went to his, uh, went to his father and his mother and said, Mum, Dad, uh, I'd, love, I'd love a toy uh, sailing ship. Would you be able to buy one for me? And uh, mum and dad looked sadly at one another and said, I'm, I'm sorry, son, we, we, have, we have no money uh, for toys. But the dad was a woodworker, woodworker. He was a carpenter. He had a small uh, carpenter's shop at the side of the house. He said, look, if you come with me into my workshop, we will make you a sailing boat. You can use my tools. I'll find the wood for you. We'll design it together. And together, you and I, we will build the finest ship that ever sailed the sea. And so for weeks, the boy and his dad, they're in the workshop and they're, they're sanding the wood and they're hammering the nails and they're tightening the bolts and they're, they're putting together the fantastic, finest sailing boat that ever sailed uh, the seas. And just as it's almost uh, finished, the mum comes up with some cloth. Uh, she takes up her needle and her thread and she starts to make uh, the sails and together they make a fantastic uh, sailing boat. Boy takes the boat down to the lake in the village and he, he sails it across the, the lake and it's, it's fantastic, holds the water uh, perfectly. And then uh, in his excitement, he takes it down to the, the sea and he puts it in the sea and it, it sails along in the, in the waves and it's, and it's amazing, it's a sight to behold. And then the wind turns and it catches the sails and the sailing boat cuts through the breakers and goes out to the sea. And the boy cries out in dismay as his wonderful sailing boat sets sail off to the horizon. He waits for the boat to come back. He watches from the shore, but it's lost. A few days later, an old man is walking along the same stretch of uh, uh, shore. And he sees a a tumble of uh, wood and some torn rags on the shore side. Bends down to pick it up, and he sees what was once a fine uh, sailing boat. And he sees, well, it's, it's damaged, but it's not broken beyond repair. And so he, he takes it home. Takes it home to his uh, workshop. He polishes it up. He replaces the broken mast. He, he gets his wife to take some cloth and to make some sails. And before long, the, the sailing boat is as good as new. And the man owns a toy shop and he puts the sailing boat in pride of place in the window of his toy shop. Surely some young boy will want to own this fantastic sailing boat. The next day the boat's maker is walking down the road and as he always does he looks longingly in the toy shop window and there he sees the most fantastic sailing boat that ever sailed the seas. He recognises his boat. The sails are different, it's painted a different colour, the the varnish is is fresh, there's some marks on it, but it's very much the same boat that he he crafted in his father's workshop. And so he runs excitedly into the shop and he says, you've got my boat, you've got my boat, give me my boat. And the shop owner smiles and says, young man, it's my boat now. You can have it, but you have to buy it. 
So the young boy runs home to his dad and he tells him the story. He tells him he's seen his boat in the, the shop window. He tells him of his, his heartbreak of seeing it in somebody else's uh, window. And so the father says, come on, son, we will get your boat. And so they work hard. They, they build tables. They build chests of drawers. They build wardrobes. And they sell them and they raise the money. And they finally have enough to go into the shop. And uh, the boy joyfully strides into the shop and puts down a pile of coins on the counter and, and says, give me my boat. The shopkeeper with a smile opens the cupboard, takes the boat out of the window, gives it to the young man, and he carries it home to his father's workshop. And as he walks, he whispers to his boat, You are doubly loved. I loved you when I made you. I loved you when I gave everything I have for you. He takes it home and he puts it in pride of place on his bedroom shelf. You are doubly loved. I loved you when I made you. I loved you when I bought you. The psalmist writes, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Jesus said, The Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. St. Paul writes, You don't belong to yourselves, for you were bought at a price. This is the good news, that you are doubly loved, that you are loved by your master and your creator who joyfully crafted you in your mother's womb. And you are loved by the saviour who gave everything for you as a ransom to buy you back and set you free. This is good news for our world, for the people outside our doors, for our families, our friends, our work colleagues, our children, our parents. This is good news for them as well. But it's a good news that the world often seems blind to, and we as a church uh, seem mute to communicate. Our friends and our families and our children and our work colleagues uh, they can't see this. And we long to tell it and we long to explain it and we long to share it. But we, we are mute. Our mouths are closed. In the reading we heard uh, today, we see some miracles in action. We see Jesus who opens the eyes of two blind men and gives words to a mute man. Jesus, who opens the eyes of those who who cannot see, through no fault of their own, but they're blind, they can't see. And he gives the miracle of sight. And there's a man who's demon-possessed, he's oppressed, he's, he's trapped, he can't speak, he's mute. And Jesus sets him free uh, to speak again. Matthew chapter 9 is an incredible chapter of the Bible. It's, it's almost got the whole of the, the gospel all condensed into one uh, short chapter. It begins with the story of the paralysed man, somebody who, who cannot do anything for himself, is utterly reliant upon others, 
And Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. And then restores to him the use of his limbs. It's followed by the call of Matthew. uh, The call of discipleship. Uh, Jesus uh, calls him to come and follow me. And there's a little story in there about what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. Then there's the dead girl being restored to life and the woman with an issue of blood being healed and restored in the community. Then we have the blind men seeing, the mute man speaking. And then you go into the next chapter, chapter 10, and you have Jesus commissioning the disciples Go and share this good news. Take your your rod and your staff and go before me. Go to all the villages and share what you've seen and what you've heard uh, me do. But in between those, there's these, these, these few verses. The story of all that Jesus has done and the commissioning of the disciples to go and tell them. And then there's this bit. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Jesus sees a blind world, a lost world, and he has compassion upon it. He sees sheep without a shepherd, and he sees that they're harassed and they're helpless. Uh, Sheep without a shepherd are in trouble. Sheep have no natural uh, defences, they can't protect themselves, Uh, they're not terribly bright, Um, They've got no camouflage, they're bright bright white, they stand out on the hillside. They have lots of predators, things that like to eat them. In Jesus' day it was wolves and bears, it might be hawks coming to take take their lambs, it might be uh, robbers and bandits coming to steal them. Harassed and helpless. Sheep without a shepherd can't find the good places to eat, they don't know where they can drink, they fall down cliffs, they get stuck in uh, ravines, they're soon uh, prey for any who would attack them. And Jesus sees a world without him as sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless. And his solution is to tell those who love him to pray. Pray therefore, to the Lord of the harvest. For the harvest is ripe and the workers are few. Sometimes we call it harvesting. Sometimes we call it mission. Sometimes we call it witnessing. Sometimes we call it evangelism. Different words for the same thing. Going into a world which doesn't know the shepherd and telling the good news of the Good Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Pointing people to where they can find hope and safety, and help and deliverance, and freedom and healing. We often are tempted to think of this as something that we do. Being a good witness, being an evangelist, 
being a persuasive speaker or a, or a good debater or, or somebody who knows uh, the answers to the questions. Uh, being able to hold a conversation uh, confidently and with a plum. But Jesus reminds us when he speaks of the Lord of the harvest, who reaps the harvest, that this is God's work. That he goes before the witnessing and before the evangelism and before the mission and before uh, the, the work. And that he's in the midst of the work and that he follows after the work. Jesus will speak about the role of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, he'll say he comes to convict uh, the world of sin. He comes to uh, communicate to people that they aren't all right without him, that they're not safe without him, uh, that they need him. He comes in verse 14, 16 verse 14, to glorify Jesus. We sang in our song, we will beautify, we will uh, lift him high. It's the Holy Spirit who, who does this. Makes Jesus beautiful, makes him attractive, makes him uh, compelling. Opens people's minds that they might see who he is and what he's done. At the price he's paid, the victory that he's won. We think about what words I'll say and uh, how I'll talk about the Lord and how I'll share my faith. And in the next chapter, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, Do not worry. Do not worry about what you'll say when uh, people ask you, when you're brought before rulers or kings or out in the courts. Do not worry about what you'll say, for the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. When Jesus speaks of the Lord of the harvest, he reminds us that this is God's work, that this is God's ministry, that he invites us into, that he uses us in. But it starts with him, it's carried by him, And it ends with him. It's a spiritual ministry. And so it begins and it ends in prayer. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. That workers will be raised up for the harvest. In his book, I Believe in the Holy Spirit, Michael Green uh, talks about this. And he he puts it this way. The mission of the early church in the first days uh, did not begin with the leadership of the church. It was not a matter of Peter and Paul saying, what about a bit of evangelism? Luke does not teach us that the apostles initiated mission. They sat quietly in Jerusalem until the Spirit came upon them at Pentecost. Then they could not keep quiet about the mighty deeds of God. It was not the twelve who fulfilled their Lord's command to go and teach all the nations good news. It was rather an ex-Pharisee opponent of the gospel, converted through the direct agency of God and thrust out onto the mission of leading, uh, the direct leading of the Lord, the Spirit. It was not the apostles at Jerusalem who ever dreamed of reaching eunuchs or Samaritans with the good news. The Holy Spirit led the way. It was not the church leaders who agreed that the word should be disseminated throughout the Roman Empire. 
That came through their being cooped up at Jerusalem. And in the persecution which followed on the death of Stephen, they were thrust out as ordinary followers of Jesus scattered through the land. The initiatives in evangelism were always those of the Holy Spirit. Time and again, we read of his leadership in the work. I read um, recently uh, the story of an atheist woman who had become a Christian. And she was uh, writing on a Christian uh, website called Christianity Today, a big, uh, big site, uh, an American um, site. And she was telling her story. And she, she reflected as she told, told the story of her coming to faith from a very kind of uh, secular um, uh, background. She's a, a literature professor, uh, really, really bright, uh, thoroughly convinced atheist, and then through a, a series of events becomes a Christian. And she says, well, when I realize when I tell this story, I tell it in two different ways, uh, depending on my audience. When I tell my story to my atheist friends, I tell it one way. And when I tell the story to my Christian friends, I tell it another way. And I wonder if you do the same. I wonder if you see that dynamic at work when you share how you came to faith. And it caused me to reflect, to think, well, do I do do that? Is that what I do? And I thought, yes. Yes, I do, actually. When people ask me, uh, who are not involved in church, who are not Christians, how how did you become a Christian? How did you end up doing this? I I tell them the story. And the story goes like this. Um, I was 15... I was at school, I wasn't from a Christian family, Uh, the Gideons came into my school, Uh, they gave us a Bible, this is it, my little red uh, Gideons Bible, and they asked us to consider reading it, I read it uh, each night, and uh, over a period of years became convinced of the truth of Christianity, and uh, and I became Christian uh, through the help of a friend, and that's my story. And it's true, and that's exactly what happened, and that's how I, how I explain it to people uh, who aren't Christians. But there's a longer version. There's a longer version that doesn't just say what happens on the stage, but says, well, this is what was happening in the background. This is what was happening uh, behind the scenes. And my longer version goes like this. Um, I was 15 not from a Christian family, uh, no one in my, my family um, went to church, and uh, the Holy Spirit created in me a hunger for him. I was thirsty to know what truth and meaning was, and I realise now that that was God in me provoking that hunger and that thirst. Uh, a group of uh, Christians called the Gideons, following the prompting of God's Spirit, came to my school. And God gave them the courage to speak uh, to a group of uh, teenagers in an assembly of their faith. And they gave out little Bibles. And God, through his spirit, quickened in me a desire to read that. And so every night I would read it uh, before I went to sleep. And as I read it, uh, the still, small voice of the spirit whispered into my heart, You are loved. You are doubly loved, triply loved, quadruple loved. And over time, God opened my blind eyes and unstopped my deaf ears. And then God brought a friend into my life, a friend at school, uh, my best friend, who's called Mike, uh, who became a Christian. 
And God gave him the courage to share his faith with me. And God gave him the, uh, the courage to invite me to his church, and I went. And on the Sunday that I was in church, uh, there was somebody preaching the first time I'd ever uh, been through the doors of a church, and uh, God spoke through them. And the Spirit of God spoke through their preaching into my heart. And God gave me the gift of repentance. He enabled me to see that I needed to change my life and bring it into order with his uh, plans for me. And God gave me the gift of faith. And I realized that I did trust in Jesus Christ. And then I would easily have uh, dropped away from church, but, but God was gracious and gave me friends in a church, and those friends encouraged me, uh, supported me, uh, helped me in those first steps as a Christian. It's the same story. It's exactly the same story, but it has the other bits put in. Describes the role of the Holy Spirit in my life, uh, the work of the Lord of the harvest in my life, uh, making me ripe to receive the good news of Jesus. So what does this mean for us uh, this morning? What's the application of us uh, for today? I think we can read it a a few ways, but I think uh, one of them is this. We need to follow uh, the instruction and the encouragement of Jesus. We need to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will raise up workers. For the harvest is ripe. The world is still full of people who are, in the words of Jesus, harassed and helpless. I know loads of people like that in my own family, amongst uh, my own friends. We need to be people who pray to the Lord of the harvest. Not who grit our teeth and work a bit harder and try and be a a better witness, although obviously there is a, a place for that. But people who trust in the sovereignty of God, that he will work his purposes out in our church and in our community and in our generation. And we align ourselves with him. We be a people who pray and pray for him to do his work by his spirit in our lives and in the lives of our friends and our family, our work colleagues and in our community. In your bulletin this morning, you'll receive one of these uh, flyers. An invitation to a meeting with our bishop, Bishop Paul, the Bishop um, of Southall. He's new in our uh, diocese, and um, I really like him. I really like the previous bishop too. Um, one of the things that strikes me about Bishop Paul is that he's, he's uh, very straight-talking. He's very honest. He's very direct. And one of the things that he's saying to us as a church, our diocese, is uh, we need to pray. We need to pray for our churches because our churches are dying. We need to pray for our communities because our communities are in darkness. We need to pray for people who are harassed and helpless, who are lost, who are sheep without a shepherd. So he's travelling around the diocese, he's organising meetings in different places and he's inviting churches to come together and to pray together to the Lord of the Harvest. So there's an invitation there um, for you to come to that. I do hope some of you will be able to join me at St. Peter's next week. If you can't make that, there's other opportunities to pray. 
We're going to have uh, some time in uh, the closing worship this morning uh, to pray with a member of our prayer team. Perhaps you are in that position of being, you're aware that you're a lost sheep and you want to come home. You want to be reunited with the shepherd. There'd be people who'd love to pray for you uh, this morning. Or perhaps you have a friend, somebody whose God has put on your heart, who's harassed and helpless, and uh, you're the person who can speak uh, words of life to them, but you don't know how to do that. And again, somebody would be willing uh, to pray with you um, for that too. Our prayer meeting uh, tomorrow, first priority prayer. You'd be welcome to join us at that, 8 o'clock here at St. Giles, or every Tuesday morning we have morning prayer, 9.15. You could join us too to pray to the Lord of the harvest. That's the first thing that we can do. Be people of prayer who seek the Lord for our lost and hurting world. The second thing we can do is we we can tell our story and we can open our mouths. We can ask God to unstop us, to stop us uh, being mute. He's the Lord of the harvest, but he's not going to do it without us. He's going to do it with us, which means we play our part too. That when the opportunity arises, we, we speak of the hope that is within us. We tell the story of how we came to faith. Sometimes you might do that in the shortened version. Sometimes you might do that in the expanded version. Uh, version. But each of you, by the virtue of that you're here and that you say you trust in Christ, you have a, a story uh, to tell. And sometimes you might have the opportunity to share what it means to be a Christian. And at those times you might feel lost for words and you might think, well, I'm no preacher, I'm no teacher. If you find yourself in that situation, My prayer is that you remember the story of a young boy and a little boat at his father's workshop. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the Lord of the harvest. And uh, we look at ourselves, we look at our friends and our families, people who we know, and we see folk who are harassed and helpless, and we long for them to meet you, the good shepherd. And so, Lord, we pray that with the disciples, you would would teach us to pray. That we would come to you, Lord of the harvest, and we would pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And that we'd be faithful in praying for, uh, for the good news to be shared and for others to come to faith and for new workers to be raised up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.